When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Mike Maniscalco, and you're listening to the Tracking the Storm podcast. Thanks, Mike, and welcome back to another episode of the Tracking the Storm podcast. It's going to be a fun week, guys. Matt is actually out of town. You know what that means? I have no supervision. The voice of reason, not present for this episode. That means I get to say whatever I want, and I'm not going to have anybody to talk me off the ledge. And you know Sterlo's not going to do it, as I bring in my co-host for this week. None other than Mr. Kane's stats himself. Sterlo, thanks for coming on and hanging out with me tonight, keeping me company while my normal partner is touring, gallivanting around the or around Europe right now, actually. He's over in, uh, in France right now. First off, uh, bonjour, Matthew. I hope you have a great trip. Uh, secondly, I feel like there's going to be a lot of fire on this podcast without Matt here. <laughs> Because uh, I kind of like egging you on, and I think it's going to be fun. <laughs> you probably could. You probably could. And I, I have to – I promised Matt I would keep it relatively tame. Um, actually, no, I didn't. He he tries not to supervise when he's not here, but he'll just wash <laughs> his hands of it if I do say anything that could get us in trouble. But, you know, we'll uh, we'll, we'll see where the night goes. We're going to have some fun tonight. Um we're obviously going to talk about the last couple of games. We really just did record a couple of days ago, so there's only been two games. We recorded late last week. Um, but we're going to talk about those two games. Unfortunately, losses for the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, lots to talk about in those two games, but we'll get into that. We are going to give you three reasons for concern and three reasons for optimism as the playoffs do draw ever nearer. This is going to be our last episode of March, so uh, April about to start playoffs about to start we're getting there folks um i did want to talk about a little bit about like a little bit of a soft schedule between now and the start of the playoffs actually um so we're going to talk about a few things that it's actually a topic we kind of had last week but it's still something that i kind of wanted to get Sterlo's opinion on but maybe talk about some things the hurricanes need to be looking at working on that kind of deal ahead of those playoffs and lastly it's me and Sterlo. We got to talk about a little bit of metal. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> we're, we're big metal guys. You guys can skip that part of the podcast. I won't even be offended. But you guys stay for the commercial break first, and then you can leave. <laughs> yeah, listen to the ad. Um, but nah, man, I don't know. I've been on a little bit of a kick with the metal lately. Just really this nostalgic shit. Well, we'll talk about that later. But uh, <laughs> that should be a fun little sequence. I have no idea where that's going to go. But hey. <laughs> we can get into a little pop culture once in a while, if you can even call that. It's more like um, counterculture, really, than pop culture. But anyway, um, but yeah, man, let's let's start with those two games. Um, the Tampa Bay game was obviously yesterday. I think that's a good place to start, just because I think it's going to be kind of quick. Because I honestly don't have that much to say about it. Um, I mean, I could talk about how it's literally all of the concerns that we're soon going to talk about. Well, knock something over coming to a head in uh, one game. Um, 
but again, I don't want to take away from that bit we're going to do later, but I, I think it was just kind of a, everything came up nil <laughs> in that game where nothing really went right. The power play was horrible. They couldn't really get a save. Like the offense couldn't finish. They had a lot of chances and I just don't think they played very well. Um, and, 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 you know, maybe there will be some overlap with stuff we talk about in our concerns and stuff later, but did you have anything you really want to talk about with the Tampa Bay game or is it just a kind of wash your hands of it game for you as well? I think Tampa's game was one of those games where you're like, sometimes you just got to be like, you're like, Hey, it's hockey. You're going to get your ass kicked. Sometimes there's literally nothing to talk about with that game. The first period was arguably one of the worst first periods in any hockey game this year that I've watched. There's nothing enjoyable about that first period. The second period was about, it was even less enjoyable. If you're a hurricanes fan, after we had probably one of our best penalty kills in a while, we, let in a very loose play, left Stamkos wide open in front of the goalie. The third period was worse than the second period. So it was just like, it was like a domino effect. And like, there's nothing enjoyable about yesterday's game. And there's really like, I know we like to complain about things, but what's there to complain about with that specific game? Like it was, it was dog shit. Like that's the only word I can even think of to describe it. They didn't have their legs from the jump, and you could kind of tell. They were skating in mud. Their passes weren't crisp. It was just, you know, the chances they did get, either they tried to pass for some reason from the dead slot against Andre Vasilevsky, or they shot right into his chest, which probably not going to go in on him or any other goalie in the league. Um, And then lots of point shots with no traffic, too, which is just one of my absolute favorite things. So, yeah, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of good to say about it. The Hurricanes kicked the crap out of the Lightning the last time they played. The Lightning were probably a little bit pissed off about that. And they have a lot of finishers, which is not something the Hurricanes have right now. But I do want to talk a little bit more about the Bruins game. Um, you know, it's it's hard because on one hand, they were down Marchand and Bergeron. So it's like, yeah, on home ice, you probably want a win there. I don't know. Don't hate me for saying that. But at the same time, the Bruins are still a ridiculously good team with, let's be honest, more depth than the Hurricanes. They were without Taylor Hall, too. Actually, I didn't even think about that. Is he out? I, I like haven't heard anything about him for a while. Um. Yes. OK, so looking it up real quick. Apparently he is out. Apparently he's getting closer to a return just from a quick Google search. That's at least what I sort of gleaned from that. So, um. So really, they're without three of their better offensive players. Um, I thought the Hurricanes were a lot more competitive in that game, though. They had a lot of chances. Swimming made some good saves. They lost in a shootout. You know, that's what it's a toss up. You basically you, you get to that point in the game, you got a 50 50 chance of winning. I will complain about the shootout real quick, just because I hated the fact that Tabo Teravinen and Brent Burns, two guys that have pretty reliable shootout moves, both kind of went against the grain and like, overthought it in my opinion like <laughs> shootouts are such a tricky thing just because yes there's tape on you and the goal is going to be kind of thinking that but at the same time in the heat of that moment like they're probably thinking okay they, they don't know that you're going to go to that they're going to be reactionary any good NHL goalie is and they're going to wait to, for you to make the first move and ideally you want to wait on the goalie to make the first move but anyway they both went to just kind of dumb shots they both didn't score whatever they lost in the shootout. 
they played well in that game. It's something I'm going to talk about later, but I, I do think there's a lot of good to take from the way the Hurricanes have played against some of these better teams. And even if the Bruins were without those guys, I don't think they played terrible in that game. I think for the first part, against Tampa and Boston, arguably, like you can you can make tons of comments about the Eastern Conference. They're both top teams in the Eastern Conference. And therefore, the yeah. league in the West sucks. <laughs> Yeah, we played so well against Tampa the last two seasons. I'm, I I don't know our record for sure, but I think that might have been our first loss against Tampa in like the last two seasons. Boston, we haven't lost in regulation to Boston this year in three games. We're the only NHL team to do that. We've played them competitively all three games. I think Sunday was a really good measuring stick because like the Toronto game, we weren't really our best early, but it's not about being the best. It's about getting results. And we found our way back into the game. And I think that speaks to a lot of what the team plays for. Like they know, Hey, they, they know when they're not playing their best. They came out really flat against Toronto. They, I wouldn't say they came out flat against Boston, but they weren't at their game. And then the third period, they're like, Hey, let's get there. And they found a way to get the point, get it to overtime. Cause once the playoff starts, there's no shootouts. Once you get the overtime, you got to get a winner. So I yeah. think it was really encouraging the way we fought back against Boston. I really liked that game a lot. That's That was the next kind of point I was going to bring up was the fact that they were down two going into that third period against an elite hockey club. Um, and they found a way to get a point. They found a way to push it all the way to a shootout. Sebastian Ajo is a guy we're going to talk about in a lot in a bit. Um, he's coming up clutch in big moments. Like, you need your leaders to step up in big moments. And Brady Shea, freaking 16 goals on the year now. He was the one that got that rally started with another absolute snipe. Um, having an unreal year. And you, you, those are two things the Hurricanes are going to need a lot more of moving forward. Is the defensive scoring to continue. They still lead the league. league lead the league. Hard to say. in uh, goals from defensemen. And... You know, obviously that was a big story to their comeback in that game. So, again, there's a lot of positives to take away, despite the fact that they were both losses coming into today's episode. Okay. Um, Again, we are nearing playoff day, (laughs) or the start of the playoffs, not playoff day. It's not a one-day thing. Um, I got opening day on my mind for baseball tomorrow. Very exciting. So, I guess day got stuck in my head there. Whatever. Anyway. Let's go, Guardians. (laughs) But yeah, we are going to go a little bit more in depth into our analysis of where the team is at right now. Um, Obviously, there's some pretty surface level concerns that I don't think are going to be super surprising to most of our listeners. But I do want to, you know, I'm going to pretend to be mad and give you some reasons for optimism as well and not just always be a negative Nancy. Um, I had somebody the other day say that I... (laughs) <laughs> I had somebody the other day call me a oh, what was it? damn it. I don't know if I can remember the exact terminology. Um, he called me a doomsday explosive takes artist or some shit like that. And I was like, wow, like that's, that's, I don't know if I've ever been called specifically that. I know I'm not always a glass half glass, half full, full person, but I always just give my honest opinion. And sometimes it's not good enough. And I'm going to say that. There are plenty of people out there for you to follow if you want to hear, oh, man, they're doing, they're playing so hard. Good job. We'll get them tomorrow, boys. <laughs> plenty of people out there for that. I'm going to tell you like it is. I'm sorry. 
Some people don't like me, that's fine. Um, but anyway, we are going to give you our unbiased, straight up opinions on what's reasons you think the Hurricanes could make a run and reasons you think the Hurricanes could get eliminated. I'm going to let you, you're the guest on tonight's episode. So why don't I let you kick things off? I'm guessing we're going to have some overlap here. So we'll both kind of, you know, go back and forth on these. And, you know, we, we tried to come up with three apiece. If we can't get a full, you know, 12 points here, then it's okay. Just kind of winning. Think, it, right? <laughs> are we going concerns or optimists first? Concerns? <laughs> sure. Why don't we finish with the optimism <laughs> to wash the okay. bad taste out of everybody's mouth? I thought we were going to do the compliment sandwich for a second. No, I think <laughs> we can do that too. Like I said, we're winging it tonight. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Uh, without Matt here, we have no supervision, so <laughs> no direction. The first thing I think would be the biggest concern for me, in my honest opinion, would be the goaltending because I don't want to say we're playing bad, but I think at this point in the season, Rod's been looking for somebody to take the goaltending reins. And for a little bit, it was Ronta. Ronta's been playing well. He goes down with an injury, and Freddie's coming back. And I think Rod was looking for Freddie to just outright take the job, but he still gave Kochekov a chance to take the job. And it's kind of not been encouraging seeing anybody specifically reach like the brass ring. Like you want to see somebody go and get the job. And it's kind of discouraging seeing not one of them of our three goaltenders who are all viable of being a starting goaltender in the league. It's kind of discouraging seeing not one person take the job yet. I think it should be a big concern in the playoffs. I think it's hard to rely on goaltending right now when we don't even know who our starter is. Yeah. And on that point, um, I, I went on the Canes corner podcast with Adam gold, just a couple of maybe like a week ago and he kind of had a theory. He was talking about how Piotr – I said this on the podcast last week, actually, but it's, it's pertinent here. Um, Rod gave Coach Edkov a start against the Rangers. He gave him a start against the Devils. Like, he's putting him in these positions saying, please, dear God, be our number one. And, unfortunately, that hasn't happened. Freddie, he has one good game and one bad game. And then, uh, obviously, Ranta actually is apparently back. As of today, we got the news that Kochekov did go down. Um, and, and you know, to this point, you have to kind of wonder if that would have even happened had he had a better performance last night against the Lightning. Granted, I don't think he was their biggest problem by a long shot in that game, but a couple of those goals, it's just like, in the playoffs, you need a stop there if you're going to advance. And I don't know who they're getting that from right now. I really don't, like – but, the, you know, like you said at the end there, I'll even put a positive spin on this one. The Hurricanes have three NHL options. You have three options that if they get hot, you do feel really good going into a playoff series with. So maybe down the stretch, one of those guys does catch fire. There's still time and, and you know, they need it. And for that reason, it is a concern, you know. Last year in the playoffs, Ronta might have been the best player on the team. He yeah. played out of his mind. He did have a couple bad games, but I mean, when you're playing 14 games, two games are the outlier compared to the 12 good games you play. I think it's encouraging that Ronta could be the guy. We haven't had a chance to see Freddie in the playoffs. I'm pretty sure he's going to be pretty motivated to get there too. So still a lot of question marks. For sure. All right. (laughs) 
My first question, and look, we don't even have to dwell here for long, but it's the power play. Um, I think it's right up there alongside the goaltending. It's something we talked about a lot here. So again, I'm not going to spew a bunch of words you guys have heard before, but like right now the Hurricanes are trying all these different combinations. They're, you know, I, I do like Ghost and Burns together on the first power play because I do think they're two of your best offensive players right now. Like, I don't think there's an argument to be made. They're not in your top five right now. And plus, that probably gives Brady Shea some more power play time. I think he deserves that. The dude has 16 freaking goals this year. Like, been really good offensively. So, that's the upside. But the downside is, like, you still have way too many power plays that aren't just you know, it's results-based business. You need the goals, but even worse, you need to be able to carry some momentum. And I think that was one of their biggest killers in the playoffs against the Rangers last year. They had so many power plays that not only did they not score, they were just atrocious and deflating. And if you have that too many times in a power or in a postseason series, what the hell are you going to do? Especially against a team like the Rangers who like, if you give them power plays, especially like four or five, they're absolutely scoring at least one. Like even against a great kill like the Canes, more more often than not, anyway. So, and, and a lot of times in last year's playoffs, they scored twice, and that power play was ju- or penalty kill, excuse me, that penalty kill for the Canes was just as good as this year's, or if not a little better even. So, yeah, that's definitely a concern for me. Like the system needs a bit of an overhaul, and that's a lot to ask during a regular season. But if once again, that's a concern in this year's playoffs, it's going to be real, real interesting to see what happens over the off season. If they maybe bring in a power play specialist type coach, or if they completely overhaul their system going into next season. To put a little bit of a spin on that, I will say since the Canes acquired Gostas they are fifth in the league on the power play. They're at 20. I will, I will ask real quick. How much of that is carried by those first two games? Just saying. Four goals against the Lightning is pretty much the huge benefit to it. I think I, – I did the math. I can't remember off the top, but I think they're still like 11th or 12th in the league without that game. Still against Vasilevsky. I think I think one of the things that is encouraging for the power play is Ghost and Burns have played pretty well together. I think these next 10 games is going to be about them getting chemistry together. And we just got to hope that we get some power plays along the way to see if we can actually get them going. We haven't had a lot of time with them on the power play. I'm pretty sure they've been on the ice less than two minutes together so far. So not a lot to go with it. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you would feel if like 11 months ago we were talking and you would say, hey, going into the playoffs next year, you're going to have stall as your power play one guy with <laughs> Gosta Spare, Burns, and possibly Nason. I don't know how I would feel with any of those combinations, but, you know, we just got to roll with what we got right now. Yeah. I can't remember who else they had on that unit. It was Ajo, Stahl, Burns, and Ghost. I can't remember who the other piece was. It wasn't Nason at practice today, even though Nason was Nathan. back. Who? Natchez. Natchez. Okay, yeah, well, that would make sense, but – You know what? I tweeted this. Like, I don't mind it at all because one of the big problems you're having, you can't win a face-off. They've lost, like, every single special team's face-off I can freaking remember. Power play and penalty kill recently. You know, that's probably going to be a small sample off the top of my head. usually is, but whatever. 
Um, so if Jordan Stahl can go out there, win the opening faceoff, that's going to in itself be a big help because the Hurricanes have had a lot of issues coming out of their own zone, getting into the offensive zone, setting up. A lot of times it doesn't happen until like 45 seconds of pass, and that's almost half your freaking power play. So if you get Stahl out there, he can win the faceoff, then go park your big ass in front of the damn net. All I need from you, bro, go get in front of the goalie. That's it. Thank Two you, things bro. to add to that. In regards to the power play faceoff thing, on the power play last year was – two people who could win the faceoff. You had Aho on his strong side and then you had sure, Trocek yeah. on his strong side. So I think that's a huge, that's a huge factor. I know I talked about it in the off season that not having a right-handed, a strong right-handed guy offensively that can carry those kind of power plays. Like Stastny's really good in the power or on the faceoff. Drury's been pretty good, but all left-handed. I think the stall thing on the faceoff and getting in front of the net, if we're going to the, playoffs which we are obviously but we got to run the gauntlet against Sorokin possibly Vasilevsky Jesterkin Olmark yeah so you need people to cause chaos in front of the net so if stalls that guy go do it yeah and just to finish off oh man how nice would it have been if they had gotten Elias Lindholm Anyway, <laughs> oh, right year. shot, elite face-off, man. I do, God, I hope so bad. They pull the trigger. I don't really care what it costs you. If it costs you drive, it's fine. Get a Lindholm this offseason, please. He wants <laughs> to play for Rod. Come on. All right. My uh, second point, I'll go right into it. Natchez, I think he's concerned, but I'm going to spin this into an optimistic thing. Last couple of games, he's been playing a lot of hero hockey. Like, he's going out there doing way too much. I think the optimistic part to it, though, is he's playing with a lot of confidence. Last year, he would play with a little bit of hero hockey-ish, and his head would go down. There'd be a lot of, like, uh, he'd be upset at himself for the turnovers. He wouldn't get back into the game. But he goes right out there lately, and he does it. He turned over the puck a little bit yesterday, but in the – Second period, whenever like we were a little bit slow, he was buzzing. Yeah. He was really getting going, even though he didn't have a good first period. I think it's still a little bit of a concern. I do want to see him get going in the playoffs. We haven't even seen Natchez really show up in the playoffs yet. I think this year is going to be a difference maker, though. I want to see him really get going before the season ends and roll right into the playoffs with a lot of confidence. Yeah, he's a guy that could really use a big like final stretch here going down to the playoffs, because if he can go in with some confidence, hopefully this is the first time we see him really show up and be the player he's capable of being in the playoff in the postseason, because, I mean, like you said, he really hasn't to this point. Um, I think it's good that he's I I don't know. It's it's twofold that he like since Fetchnikov went down, he's been pressing like he feels that pressure on his shoulders and wants to make up some of that slack, but he's got to use his teammates because that's like when he's really at his best. Like Natchez is more of a playmaker than a scorer. Like, yes, the pretty moves and the dangles are big, and like he's got a lot of highlight real plays over the course of his career, but you gotta open the t- <laughs> open the ice up a little bit by using your teammates. So he's just gotta kind of settle in and find his role and not press for it so much but maintain his confidence. Like that's kind of what it comes down to. I was going to say who would have 
predicted Natchez to lead the team in points. The other point I was going to say is using your teammates is he's top 10 in the league at 5v5 in primary assist. He's got to find somebody to finish it, though. Yeah, it's very true. Again, that's going to be another theme. I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot tonight. But, uh, yeah, if you had told me he was going to lead his team in points this year, I would have said, yeah, probably the Coyotes. But if you had asked <laughs> last summer. <laughs> but anyway. All right. You know, and, and I think this kind of is going to segue into my second concern. And I know this is actually one that you kind of said, too. So we're both kind of going to overlap here, even though we sort of have different angles to take on it. Um, but you know, part of the concern with Natchez is when the physical play ramps up, when there's less space out there in the playoffs, that's kind of when his game seems to go into a shell. And I think that overall theme is a little bit of a concern for me for the team in general. Last night, I, I made a comment about bringing Michael Furlan back, bringing Forsters back. And I was mostly kidding when I said that, but like, a, I would like to see a little bit more step up when a goon like Charanak steps up and starts like delivering those message sending hits. I just don't think there's really anybody to respond to that. But responding to that doesn't just mean punching somebody in the face or laying one of their stars out or something like that. The Hurricanes backed off what makes them who they are. I made a comment on the power play. They were getting outnumbered on their own power play on the puck. Now, this is a lesson I learned when I was like eight years old playing hockey. You always outnumber the penalty kill in the corners in any puck battles. If they send one guy, you need to have two on them. If they send two guys, you need to have three on them. Simple maths. You still have enough guys to cover their other players. If the puck squeaks out, if they win the battle, if they start going the other way, whatever. You're supposed to outnumber them, give you greater odds to win that battle, maintain puck possession. They were just totally, I don't know. I don't want to say they were like scared to go into the corners or something like that, like Jeff Skinner of the concussion years, but like they seemed really shying away from getting in on the forecheck and really battling and their puck possession suffered for it and they couldn't get anything going on the power play for it. And it was just, again, it's the total opposite of what you expect Hurricanes aggressive forechecking, hardworking hockey to be. So that's something like I kind of said it like if, if that's something you put on tape is you're a team that's going to go into a show and you're going to ease up a little bit and start second guessing once that physical play picks up game one of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals. You better be prepared to take a hit every time you step out there because some team's going to say if you can be bullied, we're going to bully you. So something they need to prove to me, honestly. Yeah, I think also looking back at the. uh your comments about enforcers is like, if you look at our series, that specific year with Furlan, we're facing Washington and that entire series, they were literally trying to bully us off the buck and it worked for a little bit. I think when you play rod style, the whole point is to get pucks deep and work your ass off. And I think you look at the Toronto game. I, I know you might've already covered that one, but we couldn't we had zero puck possession that game. Boston, we we had moments where we had our game going and we had moments when we weren't. But the third period we finally got it going. Tampa, I don't like it was a very we didn't do anything. Yeah. We had zero puck possession and that's 
what we do. The whole point of us playing our style is to get pucks deep, defensemen activated, getting the puck going, getting shots towards the net, sending it back to the point, getting it deep, like recycle. Like we need to play our game in the playoffs. That means we need to step up the physicality. That means we need to win the board battles on the power play, especially. You see our penalty killers going out there lately. They're winning battles. Our power play's got to do the same. Exactly. Like, it, and that's that's a point I've made a lot too. It's like your PK is so elite because it outworks the other team. And I think at times the Hurricanes power play can get so stagnant because it doesn't. Because they're just kind of lollygagging around, like waiting for space to open up that they're not working to create. And it's not going to happen. If you're getting outworked by the penalty kill, they're going to beat you. Like, it's just how it is. And, like, you brought up that, you know, third period of the Bruins game. It's because they stopped kind of being on their heels and got on the attack. Like, that's that's all it comes down to with their system. It's an attacking system. It's an aggressive system. The Bruins probably let off the gas a little bit, and that's what let the Hurricanes come back into it. And we've seen that flipped around a lot this year. The Hurricanes blew a lot of leads this year at times because they got away from their game for the same uh, same premise, you know, they build that lead by being a super aggressive, physical, I mean, not even like physical, like hitting everybody, but battling in the corners team. And then they say, okay, we got a lead. We need to defend now. You ease up on that. You give the other team space. They start to build an attack. So again, I, I just need to, they need to prove that physical play isn't going to be another thing that knocks them off that, you know? And it goes two ways also, by the way, because the way we play the defensive style, we're one v one everybody. You can't lose puck battles. Like Martinuk on the play yesterday on Stamkos lost a battle. Jarvis a couple of nights ago lost a battle. Like those are the that's the one thing you can't do on Rod's defensive system. And in the playoffs, when you're playing a team like the Islanders, you're playing a team like the Rangers. I know it's funny to say Islanders, but like they're legit. Like they still have people that can go out there and win battles. The Rangers in the neutral zone have killed us the last couple of years because we losing a battle and then you have a three on two breakout the other way. We need people to really step up and win battles physically, not just going out there beating people up, but physically like winning battles against teams. And we kind of need to start showing that before the playoffs. So we don't go out there game one of the quarterfinals and get our asses handed to us. They need to deliver the first punch. Like, yes, that's that's what it comes down to for me. But um, they got the personnel to do it, in my opinion. Like, there's so many guys like you need that Jordan Stall line to like kind of set the tone here. But anyway, all right. Um, I, I think, again, that was like one that we kind of both had. So why don't you go ahead and move on to your third concern? My third concern, I'm, I'm changing it a little bit, but I want to see some line chemistry for the playoffs because we've been – it's been Rod Blendamore for the last four or five games. Uh, I can't tell you there. Like we had the joke, but there's the power play when Aho was on the ice yesterday, and I legit couldn't tell you who was even on the ice because the lines were blended so much. Um, the third pairing, they've tried to get it going. They sent Martinuk up. They bring him back down. Aho's probably had five wingers the last two games between Jarvis, Pulleyarvi, Natchez. Martinuk, like the the main thing is we got to get a top line. We got to get Aho some chemistry with somebody. So before the playoffs start, he can just roll into there and we have a top pairing. We need to get our third pairing going. 
We need to figure out who's going to be on our fourth pairing. You need to figure out who's going to be playing with Cockney Emmy because he's obviously going to be one of those guys that is going to be dependent on to win those battles. He's going to have some people with him to also win those battles because we need them to be a good second pairing. So it's like, I want to see the next 10 games. I want to see them actually gaining some chemistry together and kind of start figuring out who we are, what our new identity is, and kind of go into the playoffs prepared for it. Yeah. This is kind of molding into, you know, one of my other topics for what we were going to watch for the rest of the season. But, I mean, that's fine. Like, (laughs) if we cover all that stuff here, then whatever. We'll just skip that section. But I asked Matt this question last week or a couple days ago, actually. I'm going to go ahead and ask you, too. Where do you stand on putting Ajo and Natchez together? Because A, it's your best chance at generating offense, but B, it thins out. And I don't, you know, <laughs> this will roll right into my third concern, which is the depth scoring. Like it's completely evaporated the last couple of games or a couple of weeks, really, maybe months at this point. Jordan Stahl, not really scoring recently. Um, Jordan Martin definitely not scoring recently. Seth Jarvis been a big concern for me all season long. Um, I, I, there's just not a lot there right now. I still like the way Kokanemi's playing for the most part, but his numbers have kind of dried up because his mind mates are not really that offensively gifted anymore. <laughs> you know, the Kokanemi assist the other night was Stephen Mason, where he got him a little apple, and yeah. Mason just poked it into the net. I I think. You looked at his chemistry with Tara Vianen and uh, that 80s line. So you had them rolling all the way up into the stadium series. And they were doing – their puck possession numbers were great. They were scoring goals, and they weren't letting goals in. And that's something that was very vital. So awesome. if you keep them going – yeah, if you keep them going, you're thinning out Ajo. You have Ajo with Jarvis and who? You know, like they were trying it with Pugliarvi. Pugliarvi was – still green, trying to learn the system. They're trying to bring in Pooley Yarvey with Cockney, I mean, Tara Vinen, which could be good. I I think they really need to figure out what to do with Ajo because if Ajo is with Natchez, it reminds me of when they were doing the fetch with Tara Vinen and Ajo when we really needed the scoring to get going. But like you said, it thins out the rest of the lines very, very badly. I do have one interesting idea, and I'm curious to see if Rob would try it out. Um, Jack Drury, would you give him a shot on Ajo's wing? Because I love the way that kid's going lately. He's got speed. He He's willing to muck it up. He's willing to work in the corners. He's willing to do those things to kind of create that space. The same reasons that Rod always puts Martinuk on that wing, right? You need somebody to carve out that space. I wouldn't mind seeing if Drury can kind of fill that role, especially with the fact that he kind of he has more offensive skill, and therefore when those breakaways and myriad chances that Martin gets from playing with Aho and how much attention he has to attract, I, I kind of wonder if there's any chance that could work there. Of course, the flip side of that, I, I, I think if you do that, you got to put Stasny in the lineup, which again, we're kind of going down the list here, but like, Stasny needs to be in the lineup anyway to me because I think he's played pretty well for a while now and he's one of your best face-off men. So, you know, if you put Drury up there, you are taking away one of your centers, one of your guys that's actually pretty damn good in the dot for a young player especially. Um, 
but I, I think there's there's some merit to it. That's, that's my whole point there. The flip side to the jury argument is if you're asking Jack Jury to play on the top line, you're also putting him in a defensive position where he's going to be playing the top people in the NHL. Is he ready to make that jump? I, I'm not saying I'm against it. I think he's had really good defensive moments. I think he had a really good defensive game against the Rangers a couple nights ago. I think the issue is Rod loves himself some Jordan Martinuk. <laughs> I think <laughs> you look at how Martinuk plays – and how the top line's whole like mantra is they go and win battles, they get the puck, and they hold the puck, they make plays. Martinuk made a play the other night where he got the assist with Aho. I think can Jack Drury – I think the argument really is can Jack Drury also go and win those puck battles where it's needed and get Aho and Natchez the puck if that's the case? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think if you're asking Jack Drury to be on your top line, you're probably in some trouble – but I think the Hurricanes, let's be real, kind of are in some trouble <laughs> offensively right now. So I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting. Rod's got his work cut out for him this last little while. Um, but we'll see where it goes. Um, and with that, we have – all right, the negative section of the podcast is over. Damn now, it. I had more. <laughs> yeah, we can go. We can keep going, man. I can, I can do this all day, Captain America. Um, <laughs> We're going to jump into our positives now, our reasons for optimism as we move towards the playoffs. But real quick, before we do that, Tracking the Storm is a proud part of the Hockey Podcast Network. So we're going to take just a quick minute and get a word from our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The biggest tourney in college basketball is well underway, folks, and the action is just getting started at DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any pregame money line and score $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Plus, you can combine multiple bets for a shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings will be featuring parlays and odd boosts all tournament. You don't have much time left, so be sure to check out the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day to see what they have in store. We are coming up on the Final Four this weekend. If you won any money in this tournament as crazy as it's been, I'm impressed. But it's going to be your last chance to score some money for under college basketball anyway this year at DraftKings. Or this spring anyway, I should say. Anyway, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on any pregame money line bet and you'll get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes wherever you get our podcast for important details. All right, my man, let's move on now. What are some reasons? You know, there's a lot going against the Canes. It's been it's been tough ever since Svechnikov went down. You know, Pacioretty was a big enough blow, and the dude only played a handful of games. Losing Svech, you know, it hurt my soul. I had some I had some dark thoughts when it happened. I was like, this team's <laughs> they're done. The season's over. I'm pretty sure I texted that to my dad. But I've I've come around. By the way, my dad is just like me with the, you know, emotional. <laughs> I need to see the group text immediately. <laughs> oh, they're pretty funny. Oh, it's it's me, my dad, and my stepbrother, who's a Leafs fan, Canadian. And he's just like, y'all are psycho. But anyway, um, <laughs> we uh, we have fun. But um, I, I do think there are plenty of reasons to still believe in this team. Um, I think we've both come up with a few here. So just like our last section with our causes for concern, let's talk about 
reasons you think this team can still make a move come come playoffs? First off, I think best friend Svechnikov would really like the way our penalty kill is playing. Uh, Our penalty kill is at 95, or I should say our net penalty kill, which is just your penalty kill plus how many shorthanded goals you have. The last two months, we're we're over 95%, which is kind of an insane number. Uh, Even since the trade deadline, we're still above 90%. We're top in the league right now on that. I think it's really been encouraging because our penalty kill didn't really start off well. We started off really slow, but we've kind of gained some steam lately. And it's been encouraging seeing that going into the playoffs, we're going to have some really tough matchups. We're going to be facing some really good power plays. And it's kind of a good note that our penalty kills getting going beforehand. That way, by the time we're in there, we're actually prepared and ready to go. Yeah, I know. I think that's definitely a big one. I, you know, last year it, it didn't really go according to plan against a, a elite Rangers power play. Um you kind of hope that could the Hurricanes penalty kill could kind of counteract that and maybe give him even an advantage there because I think a lot of times the Hurricanes carry the play five on five in that series. So, you know, they have another strong penalty kill this year. You just kind of got to hope that with it coming on as strong as it is at this juncture of the season, that's going to continue into the playoffs because it's going to be imperative. If the Hurricanes are, again, we had the power play in the concern section. If the Hurricanes are – if that continues and the Hurricanes are still bleeding goals with their penalty kill, you got to think it's probably going to be a pretty short trip to the playoffs. And like you said about the power play also, uh, it also carries momentum. Like it's a momentum carrier if we're able to kill penalties. Yeah. And if we're letting in goals on the penalty kill, that's also going to bleed momentum. So, Absolutely. All right. My first reason for optimism, Sebastian Ajo in tweet. Um. This is a guy that time and again has shown he's ready for the big moment. He's been awesome in the playoffs in his career. I'm pretty sure he's a point-of-game player. Just under. Just under a point-of-game player? Okay. Um, And obviously, scoring isn't all that Ajo brings to the table. This is a guy, fiery competitor, definitely willing. You know, he's not a physical guy, really, but you could definitely see him willing to mix it up at times. That kind of energy is what the Hurricanes need. He's a star player, but he's not going to back down from anybody. And, you know, going back to what you were talking about with needing to find combinations, I I think it's really important. But Ajo is the kind of player that will elevate those around him. He just needs a little bit of help. And I think he can be a guy that will lead this team maybe to an upset or two. I I just want to say I've thoroughly enjoyed Sebastian Ajo the last couple weeks because since Fetch went down, you can clearly see like he's a guy who's motivated. Like he has a little bit of a, as a somebody would say, a little bit of a bee in his bonnet when he's skating. <laughs> and he's kind of been a little bit of a shit stir lately. He has. It's been. kind of. I think. I think he needs to get to that level in the playoffs, and I I think he will get there. I think this is the year, though, that the league really sees Sebastian Ajo for the player that he can get to. He looks really motivated. He's he he made a comment in the preseason that he was pissed off about losing to the Rangers, rightfully so. He was really motivated in the offseason, and I think he's going to carry that momentum into the playoffs as well. I shouldn't go here, but I'm going to, especially because this is like the positive section. But if the playoffs don't go as hoped, the Hurricanes really need to have a big offseason with his contract coming up. Because, I mean, the guy deserves to win. He's been kind of the face of this franchise for the last little while. 
if they want to keep him around, they need to put some big-time talent around him. A guy like Lindholm would go a long way. Another winger probably, too, would be nice, like at least middle six. Get him some more help, and then with guys like Svechnikov and Natchez coming on strong, you got something going, especially if you add a guy like Lindholm to the mix. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, you also got to – like, you obviously know that, but or know this, but Svechnikov might not be ready opening day. There's yeah, a chance he ends LTIR early and we'll have some extra salary cap if possible. Just yeah. saying. it's It'll be really interesting to see because, yeah, he might not be ready. I, w- I would expect he doesn't miss too, too much time. I don't think they're going to rush him back. Like, it'd be really, really dumb to. Um, I, I think they'll handle him with kind of kid gloves, much like, well, I say much like they did with Pacioretty this year, but I'm not really sure that's actually how it ended up playing out because he seemed to come back a little early. I don't think it has anything to do with him getting hurt, but – you know, anyway, optimism, go. Rod Brendamore. <laughs> <laughs> in tweet. <laughs> yeah, in tweet. No, like, he's, I don't even know how to describe it, really, what I was going to go with on this one. <laughs> but he's he's Rod Brendamore. Like, the team plays behind him. And I think now more than ever that they're going to have to, well, obviously the players take the lead, but they take the charge from Rod. I think Rod really gets the players going. I'm ready to see what the team does the next couple of games. I think he's going to see some players really getting a chance and an opportunity like Pulley, Drury. He's going to give players opportunities, and they might not get those opportunities elsewhere kind of thing, Edmonton. But I, I really want to see how these players thrive under Rod and see how they get motivated. You can tell how much Pula Yarby's already enjoying his time in Carolina, as little as it's been. I think Drury's going to get a really good opportunity with Rod. I think he's going to give every player the opportunity they deserve, so to say. And I really want to see where that pushes them for the playoff rush. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this a lot, but it's it's – how many teams in the league like would run through a wall like the Hurricanes would for Rod Brindamore. And it's another reason I'd really like to see a guy like Jameson Reese get a chance because I I think Rod would give him an opportunity to shine and he's got the capability to be a bit of a spark plug this team could use, which I'm almost tired of talking about him at this point. Like y'all are probably tired of hearing me talk about him, but (laughs) call the kid up. Jesus Christ. Anyway. You know what it reminds me of, by the way? It reminds me of a player that, got like he he worked his way into the playoff lineup about two seasons ago and it was unexpected but max mccormick yeah kind of reminds me of that i want to see if reese actually gets a call up and what he does with that opportunity if he gets it it's you know i don't think he's more than a you know third line player ceiling but like that's a third line player that does have hands the ability to create offense especially in a playmaker's role and the way that he plays, like he's just he's just an irritant. Like he's the kind of guy that can give your team energy. And in a lot of games lately, that lightning game especially is a good example. This is a team that kind of could use some juice like that. I think he would have been big in a game like that. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, my second cause for optimism. The Hurricanes still have one of, if not the absolute best blue lines in the entire league. Uh, We talked about Brady Shea earlier. The guy's playing absolutely fantastic hockey in both ends. Um, I I will say his partner at times this year has kind of concerned me, Brett Pesci. Um, He's made more mistakes that have led to 
issues <laughs> and goals against than we're accustomed to seeing from him. But he's also a guy that you know what you have in him. And I think when the playoffs start, Brett Pesci is going to be there. He's going to be back to his usual self. He's actually had a few really good games lately, too. Um, I can't remember exactly which game it was that he made. He, he was kind of starting to make those Pesci, smart, good, subtle defensive plays that get the puck out of their own end, moving back up the other end um, or the other direction. So if they can get that version of Pesci again, which I think they will, alongside Shea, great second pairing. Obviously, Brent Burns has been fantastic, as advertised all season long, set a Hurricanes record for points with games to add to it. Um, him and Slavin have been exactly what you hoped for when you made that acquisition. Way better than D'Angelo and Slavin were. I'll go ahead and say that. It's allowed Slavin to get back to doing what he does best in shutting down the opposing um, offense. And, you know, even Slavin, like his numbers were kind of down for a big chunk of the year. He's made some big offensive plays recently too. He scored some big goals. Um, And then to finish out, I think it's the best third pairing in hockey. Jalen Chatfield and Shane Goss is fair. Um, I've said a couple of times now, I think Ghost is a guy you look to re-sign. He's been a great fit. Him and Chatfield, I mean, how many teams in the league have a player? Chatfield alone has been so damn good all season long. My dad loves him. <laughs> but the energy, the speed, I mean, he's shown he's actually got a little offense to his game. And then you got Shane Gostisbehere, who is a really, really good offensive defenseman on your third pairing. That's not a luxury many teams have. So I think, I mean, if the Hurricanes are going to make a run, it's going to be on the strength of that defense showing up and showing out. I think it's really funny looking back in retrospect, and we were genuinely so excited that Dylan Coughlin was going to be our third-pairing right-handed defenseman, offensive ability and then we had, if he didn't make the team, we had Ethan Bear right behind him. We're like, oh, great. Ethan Bear's still there, too. And then you had Chatfield. And Chatfield comes out, gets the opportunity, and just steals the f-ing show. Like, what an insane story for us in the offseason. I think it goes a long way, too. Like, kind of like what I just said. Rod's going to give you opportunities to take the job. And Chatfield's a guy who literally... I mean, I'm not going to say it like this, but he literally stole the job from Coughlin and Ethan Bear. Like, we had to trade a player because of how well Chatfield was playing. Yeah. He forced his hand. And, like, that's true. At the beginning of the season, I wrote an article about how – I think the article was, like, the Hurricanes will get more than expected from Coughlin. So it wasn't like, oh, he's going to be the savior. But it was like he's looked really good in the preseason. And, obviously, that fizzled out pretty damn quickly. Um but yeah, Chatfield, I mean, you had no choice but and to put him in the lineup. And that third pairing has been a little bit of a, you know, rotation all year long. But the one constant, number five, always in the lineup. You can't take him out the way he's played. When he got hurt, the, I think the Hurricanes, like, really struggled, if I remember correctly, when he missed a couple of games recently. Yeah, we had a... Dahan and uh, Coughlin, they had one really good game together, but they were a little bit of a cause concern. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of chemistry there, and I think Dahan did get a lot of shit, but he had to play on his offhand for one of those games because he was with Goss despair and he just looked completely uncomfortable. So I think having that depth on the right side really helps as well. Even though we didn't use Coughlin for one of those games, but you know, it's neither here or there. All right, hit me with your last one. 
I don't know really what I want to go with this, but in my head, it makes sense. I'm kind of optimistic in the aspect that we have a lot of away games coming up. I think it was a, (laughs) it was a concern last year, how we played in the playoffs. I know we play a couple of not tough opponents on the road, but I want our team to really take these games and get comfortable playing on the road because last year in the playoffs, we did not look comfortable at all. I think it's, I think it's one of the re- I mean, it is one of the reasons we didn't have a long playoff run is because we just didn't seem to get going on the road. So I kind of want to see how we interact with these road games because even a game in Montreal, a team that hasn't been playing well, they're going to pack out the barn in Montreal. And I want to see how we play in that kind of atmosphere because, you know, like we got to win some games on the road and they need to show us that they're ready to win some games on the road. Yeah, um, you know, obviously the home road splits were a big story in the playoffs last year. Um, so that's it's definitely something that they're going to need to figure out because they can't expect to just sweep at home and lose every game on the road again. Hopefully they are going to, you know, finish out the division. They need to with this finishing schedule because I think home ice is going to be really important. But I think they also still need to expect or hope they can win a couple of games away from PNC Arena. It was encouraging, I will say, to get that win in MSG. I felt like that we we just seemed to struggle there, and I think that was a good a good effort and a good win in New York. So I'm kind of encouraged by that. Yeah. All right, my last reason for optimism, you know, obviously the offense in general has been a concern this year, and or especially since Svechnikov went down. And I even tweeted it last night in seven of the Hurricanes' 15 games in March. They've scored two or fewer goals, and that includes three shutouts. That includes, I think, another three games they scored once or something like that. Um, So there's definitely been some issues there. But at the same time, they've had quite a few impressive games. In the last two weeks alone, they scored five against Winnipeg. That's a playoff team. They scored five against the Flyers. That's not. They scored five against the – Maple Leafs in a game they didn't really play well in. They didn't carry the play at all. Kochetkov kind of stole that game, but they still scored five goals. And then just a couple of nights ago, they scored three against the Bruins in a game they lost in a shootout. So, and, and three against Shesterkin too, in a comeback win. That game in MSG you just mentioned a minute ago. So, despite the fact that, yes, the offense in general has a lot of areas for concern, there's still been some games that are proving this team can do it against elite opponents. And I think there's a lot to be said for that because, you know, there's not a lot of guys like we talked about Natius, We talked about Jarvis. There's not that many guys you go down the list and say, Oh, he's really going right now. It's really Aho. Natius has had his spurts, but he's kind of still trying to do too much. The depth scoring is kind of dried up, but you still have these games where it's like, okay, there's something there. There's something to be said for that. They need guys like Kokanemi. They need guys like even Drury to really step up and be effective down the stretch here. And Seth Jarvis, uh, you know, again, he's not a guy that's had a good year. He's been hit by the sophomore slump hard. I still think he's going to be a top six forward down the road. But if you remember last year, he was one of their absolute best players in the playoffs. They need that compete level. They need that offense to show up, and they need him to start producing a little bit. I think something that's been encouraging about Jarvis's game is while he's not getting the goals, he's still showing the courage to get to the net. He might not be scoring, but he's, he's trying to get there. You know what I mean? Like 
the effort is there. So I think that is encouraging in Jarvis's game. He does look like he's gripping his stick a little bit too hard and missing some shots. The other thing that I think was encouraging is you look at a player who's kind of in a slump. Defensively, he's been good, but the player who led the team in points last year in the playoffs, Tara Vinen, like we need him to really show up. And if he's not scoring goals, that's okay. If he's getting assists, that's good. Just the defensive effort with Tara Vinen needs to be at an all-time level, I think. I think he's had moments where it's kind of in and out with his game, but if he can get to his actual game in the playoffs, I think we can actually make a run. I think it's just been a little bit of a, I think he's been a little bit of like the whipping dog with the fans this year because he's not scoring the goals, but I don't think that Tara Vinen's game has slipped defensively or offensively like fans may think, I guess is where I was going to go with this. I'll agree with that. Like, they just need the right version of him to show up. Uh, look, I mean, and this is a good just thought for closing out this entire segment. It's like when I've said this before, but when the hurricane, when Svechnikov went down, the hurricane's margin for error to win a Stanley Cup shrunk considerably. And they need a lot of things to go right. But that's true with any team. You know, any team that wins a cup, a lot of guys got hot. A, a lot of things went right, point blank, period. So the Hurricanes still have the ability to make a run. I think they can still win the Stanley Cup. I really do. They got to figure the goaltending out. They need Jarvis. They need Terabine. They need, you know, Drury. They need all these guys to be playing up to their capability. What are the odds of that happening? Probably not super high. But, again, any team that makes the playoffs has, what, a 1-16 in chance of winning it all. Maybe not quite. It's, you know, the Bruins are probably a little better than 1-16 to odds. But – you get what I'm saying. Your one in 16 argument, I actually enjoy so much because it's true. Because hypothetically, Bruins go in the playoffs. Their first round matchup could be Elias Sorokin, who could definitely steal a series. It could be Sidney Crosby, Malkin. Like these are players who have won a cup before. So it's not like their first round game is a cakewalk. Tampa Bay Lightning had one of the best seasons in NHL history a few years ago and got swept by the the Blue Jackets. Exactly where I was about to go. (laughs) Once the playoffs start, man, it's such it's it's a new season. It's do or die. Guys get hurt. Guys start playing poorly. Goalies get hot. You never know. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, Jake Ottinger nearly stole a series last year, playing out of his goddamn mind. So it's like once the playoffs start, anything can happen. So. I don't think – I think it's funny to make the jokes about Boston, but, like, their first-round matchup's not exactly the easiest, no matter who gets in. Because you're playing a team – you're playing a team that's trying to get into the playoffs, fighting and scrapping to get there. So anything can happen. The East is a meat grinder. Like, whoever makes it out is going to have been through hell. <laughs> like, that's the one advantage the West probably has, is whoever gets there might not be quite as worn down as whoever – you know, does from the East having to play three damn good hockey teams to get there. You got to think that a team like a team between like New York, New Jersey, Tampa Bay, Toronto, two of those teams aren't advancing past the first round. Exactly. Which is insane. There's a lot of good teams are going to be home pretty early in the Eastern Conference. Yes. All right. We don't have that much more to talk about, Um, but I do, you know, Matt and I kind of discussed this at the end of the podcast a couple of days ago. But the Hurricanes only have one more playoff team left on their schedule. 
They play the Detroit Red Wings to finish out March tomorrow, I believe. Or is that Friday? It's tomorrow. It is tomorrow. Okay, so the day you guys are hearing this or the day after or the day before you guys are hearing this. I don't know when you guys are listening. Who knows? Um, They got the Red Wings, and then their only playoff team left is a wild card team and the New York Islanders. Everybody else is on the outside. Now, there are some teams in there that could give them trouble, like the Sabres. They're a team that I just feel like the Hurricanes – you know, they got they got a lot of firepower. Guys like Tage Thompson can cause issues, and if they're finishing, the Hurricanes may not be able to keep up. So they got to take care of business there. Um, but I, I do think there's a couple interesting things that we could see here as that schedule comes to play. I think we'll continue to see Brendan Moore play with the power play units. I don't think we've seen the last of his shuffling there by any stretch. I do think he needs to have a little urgency in finding something and giving them a string of games before the playoffs start. So maybe like the last couple of games, we won't see that as much, but I think especially in early April, I think there's a good chance we see that. Um, And again, man, I, I hate to go back to this again, but do you call somebody up from the minors and see what you get? Jameson Reese, the silly Panamarev, there's guys down there that might make a difference. Well, I had this thought earlier and I can't remember who I, I can't remember how the how the actions actually started, but it was the last game of the season and Rod didn't rest his starters a couple of seasons ago and Slavin went down with an injury. And going into the playoffs we went a couple of games without Slavin. That. With that being said, with the way the standings are this year, I don't think Rod will rest the starters as much. I don't necessarily know if he goes to the bullpen though to grab in a couple minor leaguers to play into to plug into the lineup because I don't know if we have that I don't know if we have that luxury right now to be adjusting line chemistry that much. I think our fourth line has kind of been a jumbled mess anyway, but I don't know if he pulls in a player like Reese or Ponomarev or anybody. I, I don't know if that's something he's willing to do unless Touching on like, the way he's operated in years past, it's not really how they do it. Like they don't really call guys up at the end of the year. Matt made this point to me a couple of weeks ago, but at the same time, like Nason had an injury scare just last night. If he goes down, yeah, you got pull your sitting there, but then you, I mean, that's your 12 forwards. Like, are you really at this string of the year? They do have quite a few road games here coming up. He's not traveling with 12 forwards. Somebody's going to come up. And maybe it's Ryan Dezingle, who the or Mackenzie McEachern. Who the hell knows? McEachern's actually been pretty good in the AHL this year. But he's an AHL player. I don't know. It, it, it'll be an interesting thing to track. Because, again, if, if somebody does miss a little bit of time, I, I think somebody's got to come up. I think we should call to the bullpen and bring back Ryan Dezingle. I think that's the guy. You think so? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I'm going to be real with you. I don't know. Like, he's played in the NHL a good bit. He definitely did not work out here in his first go-round. But, hey, he's back. Apparently, hey, mended. if we need a player with chemistry with Natchez, that's the guy. That's true. They did that. Wait, what? Yeah, him, Holla, and Dezingle. Do you remember that? That's right. For a second there, I got kind of confused, but I was like, wait, that does seem to ring a bell in my mind. Oh, that that one time Eric Eric Holla was good for the Hurricanes. It was very brief. It was like a 10-game stint, but it was was really good. Yeah. Um, 
anything else you're looking for as the season winds down that we haven't already covered? Because I feel like we have covered most of it, but I think we've covered it all. Just need a goalie to find it, man. They need a goalie to find it. They need the power play to find it. They need Jarvis to find it. They need to – oh, Jesus. This is going to go on for a while. God, Matt, I miss Matt already. <laughs> God, I'm glad he's gone. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Miss you, Matt. He's probably not going to listen. He's busy. Loser. Anyway, <laughs> I'll hear about that comment. Uh, <laughs> All right, man. We're going to finish it. We've been on for a while already. This uh, this episode's gone by pretty fast, actually. It's been fun, actually, having somebody enjoyable to talk to on here. Um, Thank you. And <laughs> Duke wasn't even present, so that's good. Oh, where, we haven't seen Duke yet. That's kind of messed up, man. Like, that's kind of the whole reason I brought you on here. He's he's um, literally snoring next to me. I'm surprised right, that Mike is right, Don't touch him. No, leave him alone. You don't have to bring him on. There he is. Hi, buddy. Say hi for the cameras. oh it's a shame we don't have video right now um that's staying in the podcast anyway we're gonna do a little bonus segment here i did allude to it in our opening i've been listening to a lot of you know that 2009 2013 metal lately and sterlo is one of the guys in the dms if we're not talking about hockey i'm usually sending him a video and it's pretty crazy because actually just the other day I sent him a video and he was already, he was literally watching it. Yeah. That <laughs> was, that happened? was insane. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go on a trip down memory lane. Cause I've already kind of been doing it recently with my at work um, playlists. I want us to break down some of the absolute best metalcore, deathcore, any, whatever, whatever core metal bands you so desire here. This is going to be a inclusive ranking of the best metal bands of that golden era, late 2000s, early 2010s. Oh God, I came in so unprepared with the list though. <laughs> We're just going to win. You know, okay. we don't have to even make it a list. Let's just, let's. First off, though, are you going to come see Lorna Shore with me on Monday? Dude, if I had the money to, I would do that so damn fast. I absolutely love Lorna Shore. They are brutal. I don't know how much of our, like, audience we're really speaking to at this point. (laughs) Like, some of them might have just straight up left. Some of them might be here just to kind of, like, look at us sideways. Or maybe some of them are going to test it out. And either A, they're going to be like, what the hell is this? And be scared to death. Or B, they're going to get a newfound appreciation for absolute motherfucking artistry if they're starting with lauren ashore i think that will determine whether or not they're <laughs> they're invested into it because they're, they're the game changers of the genre right now i think they're at the top of the peak and arguably bringing metal back to the scene yeah but like but see back in the day like i i didn't start with shit like that i started with like a treyu and like these kind of a lot of like clean vocal type bands and I kind of worked my way up to now I will listen to like behemoth and like absolute <laughs> black metal. Like I love that shit. All of it. Um, so my, my starter was actually under oath. I think that was the one that really got me into the scene. And then another absolute under oath, great one. I kind of started heavier. So I was like, I say heavier, but I was like into like the Christian metalcore scene because once you start under, they kind of like linger around. You're in the MySpace days if you're thinking about that. So they linger around all the Christian bands. So you got the Devil Wears Prada. You got the August Burns Red. Oh, dude, ABR. Still one of the bands I absolutely, I want to see them so bad. Them Between the Barry to Me, 
those are two of the one that I like absolutely would love to see. BT Bam, they're from Greensboro, I think, or Winston Salem. Yeah, they're on tour, so they're gonna be here where I live pretty soon too. So actually, I got an August Burns Red story about the last time I saw them. I have a job now. Yeah, I work, (laughs) and the day before I had a really important job interview, I went to an August Burns Red concert. And it's the last time I saw them, actually. So it's six and a half years ago. They were performing and I'm like, I got to stay out of the pit. I know how it's going to be. And I was golden. I was good. I'm like, good. I stayed out of it. Last song they played, somebody was crowd surfing. They got thrown ahead of me. And I'm like, I caught them and I pushed them forward. I'm like, that was good. And whoever was in front of me pushed this girl back and she kicked me right in the eye. And I had like a semi shiner right where my eye is or my eyebrow was. And I had to go to a job interview, an important job interview, like with a shiner kind of, and it was, it was rough. And I, I regret that I did so well. And it's the things that you least expect. Cause it was like, I caught this girl, got her forward. I'm like, all right, we're good. And then just kicked me right in the face. Did they ask you what happened? No. I need to actually talk. I want to talk to them about this to see if they remember this. It's got to be awkward. They're probably like, why does he have, it wasn't that bad, but it was very noticeable because it looked like, like it was oh, like, you got in like a bar fight. <laughs> you know how like you get like a, like you skin your arm and it bruises kind of thing. It's pretty much like somebody kicked me in the face. So it was like right across the eyebrow and like right underneath the eyes. So it was like noticeable, but I don't know if they, cared enough about it i guess because i got hired (laughs) there you go we all won in the end no man you know honestly the band and i actually tweeted about this like two days ago um the band that again they were in my very early metal days but like to this day their first two albums i can like i literally i did this today at work i I press play on both of them put them all in the queue just listen to their two albums back to back but of mice and men (laughs) <laughs> always one of my absolute favorites their lead singer like kind of lost his shit and a he had a bunch of sexual assault allegations against him i don't think anything ever came of them but he kind of got canceled for that he was already out of the scene by then but still that was kind of a little bit of a red flag and then also there's this crazy video on youtube of him like at like a christian thing like speaking and it's have you seen that yes <laughs> It's it's weird, man, because he used to have the long hair. All he's still got all the tattoos, and like just this crazy did a lot of drugs, metal singer, and now he's like passionately talking about being saved and stuff. And it's it's just weird. Like it's fine. I'm happy for him. He found religion. He got clean, which is big. Really, like I got my own story there. So anybody, I got a lot of respect for anybody that can do that. But like. It was just crazy to see him up there. It, it, it's it's a culture shock, is what it is. But anyway, those first two albums, absolutely killer. How do you feel about Attack Attack though? I didn't love them. Like I know it's still Austin, and I I, I just you know a couple of those songs are kind of like, like cheesy in that scene, like stick stickly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny. I think they kind of did this thing where they were so corny that it was kind of like they were. Laughing stock, but I think out of all the bands, like they're the ones that that kind of have like the defining like they define the genre kind of like they still stand the test of time. Like their music was so 
everything about their like music was stolen. Like everybody took that and they're like, we're going to use that in our own music. And they took that and then they took Architects and they're like, this is modern metalcore now. Oh, Architects is another great one. All right. So they're not metalcore, but do you ever listen to Infant Annihilator? <laughs> uh, yes and no. I don't go out of my way to listen to them unless I really want to like listen to them, though. So like, I don't... like a couple of like kids from Florida. They don't tour or anything. They just make music. And like right, you hear their name, you're like, what the hell? People that have never heard of them before. But like it's 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 satire really they're joking around their music videos or them like (laughs) i probably shouldn't even say it but like can't say that on the podcast yeah yeah. i mean it's 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 kind of a joke but at the same time their vocalist is fucking brutal and i i love their shit like i i love their music (laughs) i think it's hilarious and just i love me some brutal vocals so hey good guitar work too them, another band we talked about a lot recently is Born of Osiris, who I've been, yes. been on another kick of them lately. Never disappoint. Um, greatest, I, I think we had this talk about, I think, abstract art is the greatest breakdown in the genre. Like, yeah. like it's, there's not a lot of, the thing about the genre of metalcore slash post-hardcore is a lot of stuff just gets duplicated and rewashed and made into their own thing. And like bands like, I'm going to go on a wide spectrum here though, but like Born of Osiris has like always been creative. Periphery has always kind of done their own thing. And then like Chiodos, they're like another band that I absolutely love, but like their music is completely separate from everybody else in the genre. Like they, they made music and you can like tell who it is by like the first listen, which you can't do with like modern metalcore. Right. And like, it does kind of get old when it's all like the same shit. Like, Today, there's not that many bands like Current that I love that much. Currents, inc- incidentally, is one of them. Currents, Invent, Animate, um, Polaris is absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Era, awesome. Those are like the four metal bands that are still making music and stuff that I still like really listen to. Um, but like for me, I, like I, I wanted to be a little unique. Like I, I don't want to hear the same shit. And that's one of the, you know, not just Will Ramos being absolutely ridiculous with his vocals and Lorna Shore, but like they're like orchestral music. Like they take orchestral strings music. It's like classical music, and then it just turns into this brutal ass guitar work is disgusting the drumming is incredible and their breakdowns are like the heaviest in the genre so i love that shit them i mean there's a lot of deathcore bands i love too thy artist murder is another great one i mean we could sit here all fucking night and list off like metal bands we we could say like another two-hour podcast about this shit i could anyway the band that i really enjoy and they've been creative and i understand they're not for everybody but i absolutely love this north lane because they write like, such heavy music that is like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like there's meaning to it. It's not just like breakdowns and stuff. They, they'll they take drop tunings and then they make it into like, like the gent sound with electronic too. So it's like, it's memorable. It's fun. Like it's heavy and yeah. it's really good singing and screaming. So it's like. Northlands, I really like their older, heavier stuff. I don't, I haven't listened to them as much recently. They do have a lot of really good music, though. You know, interesting point you brought up there at the end, though. You know, I, I love electronic music too. I go to a lot of like dubstep shows and shit, and I've noticed there's like a lot of 
crossover lately. Polaris has a song, I think, with Phase One. Yeah, I think it's Polaris yes. and Phase One. There, there's yeah. a, like, a couple like dubstep DJs, which I had a buddy of mine that's like the smartest like music person. Well, he's one of the smartest people I know in general. But like, as far as music goes, he's like just. I love how you had to specify the smartest. Oh, he's one of the smartest people I know, actually. Well, yeah, you know, I was going to say like music wise, but like, no, just in general, he is. But he was kind of drawing a lot of parallels and a lot of dubstep DJs actually have backgrounds in um, like metal. And there's a lot of the same themes that actually kind of cross over, like whether it just be a simple like dubstep drop to a metal breakdown, like shit like that is just there's a lot of connections to be made there. So it, it probably shouldn't be that surprising that <clears throat> there's like crossover there. Now I will say like the biggest, there is a dubstep DJ that like makes metal music too. Like his shit is part dubstep part. Like he screams and stuff and plays guitar, like even in his live sets. Oddly enough, I absolutely hate him. <laughs> What's his name? Well, like Sullivan King. Oh yeah. Sullivan King. Cause he's done some music with under oath and other people. He's got, I've some- actually, I don't seen- like his shit like at all and like you'd think I probably my two favorite genres of music are dubstep and metal and I like the guy that does both I don't really like phase one's kind of the same way though and I do like him so I do like I love phase one a lot I think phase one's very creative with it rather than Sullivan King I think Sullivan King is just like making his own kind of thing it's yeah. cool but it's just not for me like i'll listen to it and it's not enjoyable that same buddy he, think- it's it's for females and it's kind of true like he is he's got the long hair like he you know i, I will know. say the edm crossover artist that also did metal was big chocolate he does a lot of dubstep with like asking alexandria he did a asking alexandria remix and other things he was in a deathcore band and i'm gonna get it wrong i you said Thy Art is Murder, and I think that's the first thing I'm thinking of, and I think he might have been in Thy Art is Murder. I'm going to get it wrong, and my brother, I'm going to make him listen to it, and he's going to really be pissed at me, but you'll have to spot check me real quick. Yeah, I'm hold on, I'm looking for it right now. Disfiguring no. the Goddess. Disfiguring the Goddess. So he was in Disfiguring the Goddess. and Never even heard of that. <laughs> you should listen to them. They're, they're that that genre like they're really good but he does dubstep now and it's really enjoyable i don't i've never heard of him like i'm looking at this he had a couple crossover hits a couple years ago he had blue milk and then um oh that's gonna drive me crazy he had blue milk that was really big and then he had don't try to test this and it was in a couple commercials with uh liam neeson's i believe Interesting. It says he's done remixes for Suicide Silence, Asking Alexandria, and I Wrestled a Bear Once. Yes, I Wobble. Toured, toured with Dance Gavin Dance and been on Warp Tour. Interesting. This is my kind of guy. I need to check him out. I actually saw him on Warp Tour. Huh. Yeah, he's he's pretty fun. I don't know if it's your type, your style of EDM, but it's still like I enjoy him because he's one of the scene kids. He's legit. <laughs> all right guys this is like might be the long no no it's not the longest episode we've ever done but it's it's the longest episode we've done in a while me and matt have been keeping them kind of short for a while now but i don't know we had a lot of fun tonight if you're still here you are an absolute trooper because we've been just talking out of our ass for the last like 30 minutes but um it's been a pleasure man i appreciate you coming on always 
Fun to have you here. Get your insights. One of my favorite people on Kane's Twitter. If you are not following him for some reason, you definitely need to go do that. He is at Kane Stats. Appreciate you, brother. Also, I'm coming for your job, Matt. <laughs> he really is, Matt. So you better be careful over there, buddy. Uh, if you don't get back soon, you're going to be in deep trouble. All right, well, like we've been talking about, guys, the regular season is winding down. It's getting to be that time of year. The best time of the year is right around the corner with the NHL playoffs starting. We will have all your takes, analysis, my uh, doomsday level hot takes or whatever the f*** that guy said that one time a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) We got it all here for you right here on the Track and Storm podcast, baby. Thank you very much. We'll see you guys next week. Good night. Oh, almost forgot. Matt, say the line. It's a great time to be a Carolina Hurricanes fan.